Welcome to the Path 11 podcast with your hosts, April and Mike. Today, we would like to introduce you to Todd Akamesis. Todd has been exploring consciousness through expanded states of awareness for more than a decade, including 10 years through the out-of-body state of consciousness, and regularly presents talks and seminars on the subject. Through five years of running international workshops on out-of-body exploration, he has taught thousands of people how to self-induce out-of-body experiences, which have many benefits, including, among many others, how to be more present in your body. Todd is also a director of an organization that developed a deep trance meditation machine called Pandora Star, a device that facilitates fast, reliable frequency states for deep exploration work, including deep meditation, lucid dreaming, psychic development, out-of-body exploration, brain training, and much more. We're very excited to have Todd on our show today. You were... Born in the U.S., is that correct? Yeah, I grew up in Tampa, Florida, and I uh, stayed in the U.S. till I was 23 years old, um, which um, was just sort of coming to the tail end of a hitchhiking journey I did, which was three years from age 20 to 23, which I hitchhiked across uh, the lower 48 states, as far up as Canada and Alaska and uh, parts of Mexico and uh, the Caribbean. So. Then I kind of uh, got the bug to travel and see some of the other part of the world, but didn't get much farther than England, so uh, due to some synchronicities, but I'm really enjoying living here. Wow, that's amazing. Now, did this have any effect on your lucid dreaming, out of body, this, this traveling? Is that I, I kind of find that the thing that has the biggest effect, I know a lot of people in these circles will talk about you know their particular you know sort of um favorite things to recommend whether it's diet or you know um the quality of sleep and other rituals but i i find the thing that serves me best personally is just remaining really consistent with my practice and um the quality of my practice i think you know having a a real good conviction you know a level of belief and and knowing goes a lot further than anything else because i think ultimately if we if we surround ourselves with too many metaphors, too many belief systems, um, that can sometimes, you know, those things will be crutches and they can get in the way of, you know, having a, a very portable practice. You do a lot of lucid dreaming, you host workshops, you do out-of-body experiences. Now, how did you get all started in this? Uh, for me, it was a really early journey. I would imagine, similar to a lot of people who will be listening to this podcast, um, when I was six years old, I started to have uh, very spontaneous experiences, and I think this is a very natural state for us to explore. Unfortunately, it's just a matter of not having the support from a very young age to where it goes beyond parents maybe saying things, you know, typically of, you know, it was just a dream. Uh, my mother was a lot more uh, supportive in the sense that. Uh, I think she, as much as I could detect that the experiences I were having were different from normal dream states. Uh, typical sort of dream, I wouldn't ever see my 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 body. I you know I would always be first person in the experience. Whereas in these other experiences, which I now know to be out of body experiences, uh, they you know I would see my physical body or I would see a representation of my body. And that was usually in you know a, a near enough correct orientation within a, an environment which I would know as my bedroom. 
And so to me as a child, you know, it, it started off very early on and it was definitely, I knew it was something different from my nighttime dreams. I, I couldn't quite articulate it. I didn't understand it more than what I just explained, but uh, it was a very early start. I had about six years uh, from age six where my mother would sit me down at the breakfast table and it was a usual ritual for her to get out a journal and take note on my behalf of the experiences that I was having. And I think her interest and her openness and her encouragement really helped a lot in those early formative years to be able to really develop this into a, you know, a full-blown skill. Uh, she'd have me uh, not just, uh, she wouldn't just transcribe what I would uh, report, but she'd have me draw with crayons and colorful markers you know the 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 sort of environments, the the people, and 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 it, yeah, it went on like that for about six years. Do you come from a family that also has experiences like this with your mom being so open? Did she have any prior experience through her journey in life that you know made her pay attention a little bit more? I think she had a keen interest in metaphysics, but beyond that, she never really discussed her her own journeys and whether that was a conscious choice not to get in the way of my stuff um to be honest i've never really spoken to her about those those sort of uh that early stuff uh which you know would have included any of her own journeying uh but with regards to the rest of my family i've got a really uh sort of interesting family background my my three brothers, I've got three siblings, and they've all got sort of top security clearances with various government agencies, and so I'm that classic sort of black sheep, if you like, within the family. Now, you, you've kept this knowledge of, you know, this, this lucid dreaming, out of body, up until now, where we've, we've talked to Tom Campbell, who everybody probably listening to us knows who that he is as well. Um, Tom had early experiences with dealing with entities that would come visit him at night, but then uh, I think by the time he was 10, 11, 12, he kind of forgot all that and became a teenager and then didn't rediscover that until later in college when he took a med- meditation class. So you've continued this knowledge till now. Um, has it changed? How much has that changed, um, I guess, growing up with that experiences? Well, uh, change-wise, I'd say it's been a very steady sort of flow. And if you can imagine, you know, this this sort of thing wasn't reserved just to my nighttime uh, sort of experience. I I had um, a lot of clairvoyance experiences. I had a lot of uh, uh, sort of telepathic stuff at a young age, and this didn't always go very go down very well on sort of the 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 school playground and i i kind of was uh, very much mentally bullied so i was very uh, sort of peripheral uh with you know sort of social stuff as as a child uh i had friends who i felt very safe around uh but most of this i i discovered from early on needed to be kept to myself otherwise you know you, you just get you you generate a lot of fear um, my sort of teenage life was a mixture of enjoying uh, synchronicity and manifestation in in ways that you know it was it was just uh, again it was natural and I think for a lot of us it just becomes normal not to experience this range of phenomena 
but for me, these, these, I guess these windows into these other levels of consciousness remained open, uh, which, which was good from a young age. And as an adult, you know, I find it has served, uh, it created the basis for, for who I am at the moment. You know, I teach this, this stuff and I really love being very playful with energy. I find the more playful we are, the, the more fun it becomes. Uh, so change-wise, it's been a very steady development in this way for me from childhood to where I'm at now. But I'm, I'm always you know, sort of in, in this sort of zone of constant change, uh, constantly reading and looking at other people's work and wondering and looking for ways to fit that stuff into what I do. Um, to me, you know, it's, it's about constant growth. And do you want to talk a little bit about some of these workshops and um, events that you're putting on? And I'm really excited to hear about the Pandora Star because I've seen some pictures on your Facebook page and I'm thinking, what is that contraption? <laughs> and I've seen you, I think you set it up in your bathroom somewhere too, right? <laughs> There's a picture of that. I'm like, what's happening here? What is this thing? It looks so cool. Um, but do you want to delve into a little bit of what you've just kind of been experimenting with and what you do at the workshops and why people come, you know, to hear you speak and teach and all of that fun, playful stuff? Absolutely. Um, I'm very happy to discuss all of that. And I think a good starting point would be with synchronicity itself. One of the one of the um, experiences that we we have here in London is a is one where we can have a direct experience. So it's it's an event where we meet up in central London, uh, where uh, we have a community uh, online community where we have about four thousand members. And at any given moment, you know, people will come out to various events. But the the synchronicity walk that we do in London is probably the one that gets the most interest and fills up. Once I put it online, it only takes about 10 minutes to get have a waiting list. So we have about 20 people where we'll meet in central London about maybe in the evening, 7 p.m. in the evening on any particular weeknight. And invariably, people will arrive not knowing much of what's going to happen. They'll ask for the plan, and I'll say, well, there is no plan as such. We have dice, so we have dice where we roll the dice and we let the dice decide which direction we're going to go. So we leave this really down to you know synchronicity, serendipity, um, these sort of cosmic phenomena, which I, I find can really open people up like a cosmic can opener. Um, you know, you can come along to this event, maybe you know, being very skeptical, and experience back to back to back synchronicities, and some of them very powerful. Um, as an example. We would usually at the beginning of the walk, we'd roll the dice once just to get a group number. And that group number would serve as like uh, a breadcrumb trail, a way to communicate between these, these various levels. Uh, you know, to me, synchronicity reminds us to, to really ground ourselves in the moment. And, and that it's a, it's a great sort of reminder that there's a deeper energy to our everyday lives. So uh, on one particular walk, as an example, we rolled the dice at the very beginning to get our group number, and we got the number four. So the idea is, as we begin to walk and lose all need to control, just let the dice decide which way we go without second, sort of, uh, without second guessing, and using our intuition in, 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 in sort of moments uh, where it becomes apparent. On this occasion, we, we rolled the number four, and we set out on our walk, and within about um, 15 minutes of the walk, we, we rolled the dice, like I said, at street corners, and we got to this one place uh, next to uh, a central location in, in uh, London, rolled the dice, and got the number four again. So 
we started to look around for the occurrence of number four, and we noticed we were literally standing right underneath the number four bus stop. Now, like in most major cities, you have a bus route uh, dedicated to one particular sort of bus, um, and we, we have to just be synchronistically underneath this particular one. And I then said to the group, why don't we get on the bus and see where this goes? And the moment I said that, the number four bus came around the corner. So that, again, was really good synchronicity. Uh, as we were getting on the bus, it began to rain. So we stayed dry. We were on the bus and now dry, so another occurrence of synchronicity. Uh, we get on the bus and I decided we'll roll the dice to see how many stops we go. So we rolled the number nine, so we went nine stops. At the end of the ninth stop, as we're getting off the bus, it stopped raining. So again, an occurrence of synchronicity. You know, If we would have rolled a three back at the bus stop, we would have never got on the bus. If we got on the bus with rolling a number four and rolled a number eight, we would have probably still got a little bit wet. So everything was perfectly timed. When we got off the bus at the ninth stop, there was this poster that somebody had plastered to uh, a brick wall that said, wait here for further instructions. It was just absolutely, <laughs> wow. you couldn't, you just couldn't, you know, pay somebody to, to try and, you know, formulate something like this. It was, it's, that's the power of this. You know, again, it's not a matter of suspending your beliefs, but at least being open-minded enough to be able to experience realities within realities. And I think, you know, a good illustration of that you know, it's like a negative hallucination. Sometimes we don't see what's right in front of our eyes because of belief system blindness. And I teach people on these very simple walks, which anybody can recreate anywhere, you know, in the world if they'd like to give this a go. Just grab some dice, um, you know, just get into a mindset. That you're going to allow your intuition to flow. Um, when it does flow, you know, don't second guess it. Just follow it and let go of any need to control or to experience a particular outcome. And you're going to experience, you know, that raw energy of, of uh, uh, you know, the creative forces of the universe, which are always there. It's just whether or not, you know, our, our belief systems, our preferences, our moods are allowing us to see which, that which is right before us. Now, let me ask you this. What's, what would you say is the difference between synchronicity and maybe law of attraction, where the group may be kind of manifesting some of these experiences to happen? Like if they're in that mindset and, you know, they roll the number four, then people might be looking for the number four. How can you tell the difference between the things that just naturally unfold as opposed to the anticipation of the energy or thoughts of the group? Well, to be very honest, April, uh, personally, I don't really see any disconnection between you know this this phenomena. I don't see how you can have synchronicity without manifestation and, and vice versa. It's like any sort of uh, personal development or spiritual practice, whether it's something like astral projection, lucid dreaming, channeling, other psychic develop you know f development phenomena. We're talking about sort of using methods, different methods to access the same field of consciousness. And we're just using our sort of uh, our preferred access methods, if you like. So to me, uh, you know, if the group holds this, this mindset, this belief system, this desire to experience synchronicity, then of course manifestation plays its, its, its pivotal role within that. So I, I don't really sort of separate them out. I think it's very interconnected. I mean, this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with interconnected consciousness. Right, right. Okay. Now, the experiences you've had with this, this rolling the dice, how, how deep does that go? How far do you take that? 
We really let it go as far as it wants to go, and I guess uh, to the level to where the group feels comfortable. To this date, we've never, we've so far not gotten arrested, which is a good sign <laughs> uh, that we do have some boundaries. But um, you know, just sort of extending from that point where we came across, we got off the the, the bus on that one occasion, and we we had the sign that said, "Wait here for th- further instructions." You know, I'm when I get into a really playful zone. I will follow that guidance all the way through. So I asked the group to remain still in that space. And within just seconds um, after, you know, you know, rema- you know, remaining in that sort of uh, that space, we had a driver pull up. Uh, the person, you know, their, their, their um, uh, passengers got out. And I went up to the driver and I said, look, we're not tourists. We don't want to go anywhere in particular. We're just out having a bit of fun. Um, you know, sort of inverted quotes, uh, you know, uh, experience some random phenomena. And I just asked him to sort of uh, randomly choose a direction for us. Uh, and he, he sort of let go and he just sort of just waved his arm in the air and just pointed in a direction. And we thanked him and we, we followed that, that sort of uh, extension to the breadcrumb trail. And within minutes, we came across this um, apartment block where there was some very loud party music coming from the uh, penthouse, um, you know, sort of apartment. And so I said to the group, I said, I think this is an opportunity for us to, you know, get in to, to sort of mingle with, um, you know, playmates. And in London, we've got 8 million, you know, residents in London. So that's 8 million, you know, potential playmates at any given time. Uh, yes, unsuspecting to them, but as long as I, I think you're in a real playful, creative energy, most people will find a way to connect with you. So I said to them, let's see if we can get upstairs and get it, get it uh, you know, gate crash this party. And the moment I said that, this man comes from a, a tavern or, or pub from across the street, and he looks like he's striding with great purpose, and he sees our group, and he's like, hey, what are you guys up to? And we said, well, we're going to gate crash this party. He goes, oh, that's a coincidence. Um, you know, my, my mates just bet me I wouldn't go gate crash, gate crash that party myself. So again, we had this convergence, you know, of time and space for synchronicity. And so, you know, our group plus, you know, this and plus one, uh, I think on this occasion there was about, you know, like I said, maybe 20 of us. We went up to the top floor flat, knocked on the door, the, the owner opened up the door, you know, and he's very surprised to see us, but within less than a minute, he'd invited us into the party. You know, he really liked what we were about. And, you know, this type of thing can happen on a regular basis. We can, we can sort of be walking past a, a building um, and maybe the, uh, there's an ajar, a door that's ajar and, and we'll, we'll be sort of courageous enough to trust that it's a sign to explore. Um, on one occasion here in central London where they have the, the law courts, um, there was a big wooden gate, which is normally closed at night, that lead to this magical sort of uh, private garden area. And again, the, the door, the gate was ajar, so we, we went through and we, we found flowers that smelled like chocolate. We found, you know, this, this magical playground, which is re- usually reserved, you know, for, for, for the, the more sort of uh, elite of society. And it was, you know, completely open to us because we were open to the universe and, and therefore we were experiencing this great depth. So personally, I find as long as you remain open and you trust and you have that courage to trust your inner guidance, you're going to go really deep. And I don't think there's a limitation to it. Um, again, your personal boundaries will play into it, uh, which is why, you know, 
kiddingly, I did mention, you know, we've, we've so far not gotten arrested, but you know, that potential is always there too. Uh, but usually, you know, the, the group dynamic, uh, would steer us away from anything that the group, um, energy is not entirely comfortable with. Uh, but I find it usually works out to the level to where a lot of people will walk away from this sort of experience forever changed. I've had people years after, you know, a simple meetup experience like a synchronicity walk who will will sort of report back to me, you know, way after the fact by email and they'll say something to the fact that, you know, I went on the next day, I carried on with the walk in my mind, you know, the synchronicity walk didn't end and I found synchronicity everywhere. I became more and more open and my life has changed, you know, because of this. So I, I think the the depth is is down to the to the person, down to the group um sort of level, but you know, the universe is deep. I think that's uh you know, just hearing about this this group walk that you did that and I think for a lot of people too that are, you know, we're all kind of in the same uh, position right now where, where everybody's, you know, worried about paying bills, they got to go to work, work the eight to five, you know, they can't deviate from this pattern or they'll, you know, they may lose their job, they may lose their house. But at the same time, you're kind of just letting go and just say, you know, whatever signs show up, we go in that direction. And I don't know if I really have a question, but <laughs> it's just, I think that's, you know, just a very just thinking about that is a very freeing experience, breaking us from this this mold of you know that society puts puts on us. That I don't know. You're um, making a very good uh, point here, Mike, which I'd like to pick up on because one of the components of you know synchronicity, I find you know it, it's it's got a really grounding energy about it, and you know to the point to where you know when you really allow yourself to you know, fully immerse yourself in the energy of this, that inner child starts to come out. And on, on several occasions, we've been in London and we've, we've sort of synchronistically wound up in one of the big London, central London parks. And I can remember one occasion very vividly in my mind where there was probably a good 300 adults sitting in the park, getting some sun after work, you know, socializing. And there was a group of us, maybe about 10 of us on this occasion. And we got into the park and I said, okay, how about, you know, because we're, we're being very playful, why don't we, we play some childhood sort of games like um, um, red light, green light. Um, we'll, we'll play tag, all kinds of things. And we chased each other playing stuck in the mud, which is, which is a version of tag here in the UK, uh, where you chase, chase people and if you catch them, they have to stand still until somebody else who's not one of the chasers can tag them and free them again. And we're playing for a good hour. Not a single one of these 300 plus adults joined in you know, our games. But I promise you, if there were, I can imagine if there were 300 children present there, we would have been swarmed with requests to play. Hell, they wouldn't have even asked. They would have just joined in. So I think you're right. We get to a certain level, um, you know, I think it's somewhere within teenage years where we're expected to take on a level of responsibility, which a lot of us are not prepared for. And quite frankly, that is, that is a failing of society in a sense that, you know, youth is, is really, in a sense, stolen from us. And even, you know, those younger years uh, where we don't value play, we don't value that inner child. And these sort of experiences really teach people 
that it can be very grounding to the point to where I usually ask after we're a good hour playing these sort of games, you know, and everybody's, you know, now feeling invigorated with all this energy of manifestation. I ask them, you know, how many of you for the last hour while chasing each other around have been thinking about paying your bills? How many of you have been in your head thinking, oh, I need to get this done or I had that argument with the boss earlier? Nobody reports any sort of you know thought of that nature they're grounded in the moment this is a very powerful experience you know for people you know sometimes we're walking past the playground on one of these walks and I'll ask people before making the suggestion of going onto the playground and going on the swings or going down the slides I'll ask you know a group of adults when is the last time you allowed yourself to to sort of just express yourself in a playful way. When's the last time you were on a playground? When's the last time you allowed yourself to sit on a swing and and recreate that experience from childhood? And usually there's not a single hand that goes up. It's just these are things we don't seem to value in society anymore. And we've got this real conflict of values that goes on within us because I can assure you there are parts of our consciousness that are really feeling uh, uninvolved or really feeling um, overwhelmed by by all the worry that takes place on a daily basis, you know. April talked about mentioned um, the law of attraction. You know, for those of us schooled in this sort of uh, area of thought, why is it that we still choose to have this background noise of worry all day long? That is creating. That is co-creating with this with this universe. So it's this sort of phenomenon that can really. Um, you know, bring people back to a balance point to help them really understand that they've got their own inner community of subpersonalities, and some of them are very overwhelmed with you know the 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 too much responsibility, being too serious, and as, sometimes it's a matter of being really present with that inner community, almost having like an open mic night and allowing these subpersonalities to really speak out and say, look, hey, you need to slow down, hey, you need to sort of maybe. Think about you know being less serious today, and 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 maybe just putting down you know the adult tools, putting down an adult you know sort of novel, picking up a, a childhood sort of favorite book, you know going out to play, pack yourself a lunch, going on a picnic, you know just disengaging from that which you know you know too well, which is which is you know our busy lives. Now I want to bring up uh, another. Uh, let me just use the keyword uh, intention. Is there any other forms of intention involved in this i know you have the dice but is there are you setting an intention before you go out yes yes i'm glad you picked up on that uh we we have two different levels of intent we have the group intention to experience of course you know synchronicity and the many manifestations that can come from that which we don't limit um and we and we do our best not to judge so i mean even if we roll the dice and the dice sends us straight down one particular street and we get to the next street corner and we roll the dice again and it sends us straight back to where we came from and we do this two or three times in, in one, one occasion on one walk, five times up and down the same street. You know, But that's like life in itself. How many times do we recover the same ground before we finally get the lesson, before we get the message? Um, but even on a, on a personal level, I ask people to hold an intention because it is synchronicity is an amazing medium for communication between different levels of your consciousness as well as other beings, uh, what we might in spiritual you know, circles call guides or helpers. And you know, they're always there to communicate. Again, reality is within realities, but if we're not open enough, 
if our mind is too cluttered and not clear, we're going to miss communications that are always there. These, these messages are always there. It's just a matter of whether or not that signal to noise ratio, like they talk about in science, whether we can tune into the signal and reduce all the noise. So at the beginning of a walk, I will, yes, I will say to people on an individual basis, if you have a question about your life, you know, if there's an area of your personal life where you'd like to get some feedback, where you'd like to get some insights, hold in your mind now, you know, uh, an idea. If you'd like to go, for example, backpacking to Australia, then hold the intention that synchronicity in the most spectacular way is going to show you and give you, you know, feedback. And I think as long as we're open to these feedback loops that exist out there in reality, we will see them. We will experience them. And sometimes we're walking along, and at the beginning of the walk, I'll also say, suggest to people that we don't just depend on the dice. If you suddenly get a strong intuition that we need to go down you know, some dark alleyway, hell, there's usually a good 20 of us. You know, nobody's going to mess with us. We'll go down that alleyway, and we'll explore it. So, you know, on one particular night, yes, somebody got a very strong impulse and we followed it. We went down into the alleyway and there was this sign which was totally unmistakable for one person in the group that gave them the answer. If, you know, and this was a separate person to the person the, the feedback was for. So it, it also goes to show that if we can learn to trust and hold bigger bigger spaces we increase the opportunity of that feedback loop system to where other people can help uh, help guide us to the to the insight that we need for our everyday lives so yes we do set you know the intent on a group level as well as on a personal level how would somebody sign up for one of these these walks these adventures i guess well if they live in london we have a meetup group uh, where you can become a member. It's free of charge to become a member. These particular walks are also free. So for anybody who's sort of uh, currently stuck in any sort of poverty consciousness, it gives them an avenue to come and play uh, by just investing their time and their energy. And we just ask that people come along and even if they're skeptical, just to be an open-minded skeptic and, and bring some humor along as well. We, 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 we really need to have the humor because I think when, when situations start to occur where your belief systems, uh, perhaps of a lifetime, your deep-rooted core beliefs are being challenged by direct experience, you're going to need some humor. So we really we usually recommend that if people don't have any to to go and get some before they visit you know come out for one of these walks because it's just it's just too important um, you know not to not to be able to express in this way and and really let your hair down and really enjoy but um, yeah so if people are in London then they can just visit our meetup group uh, which if uh, you're happy to for me to give out the web address is www.meetup.com forward slash journey of truth. And from there, you can find some of the other UK-based groups that we have throughout other cities. Uh, if you're based in another country, uh, there's many ways you can do it. You can either email me, and I'll give you uh, sort of a guidelines list where people can create their own walks. Or if they're feeling really uh, sort of creative and really bold, then you can invite me, and I'll, I'll be happy to come and lead your walk no matter where you are in the world. I'm thinking of doing that here in New York. Uh, that Fantastic. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, that that's <laughs> I would totally do something like that. Now, I I just want to ask you a question. Um do you watch a lot of movies or TV? 
I don't watch TV anymore. Uh, okay. I do. I do have a Netflix account, so I do sort of watch films. I do go to films still. I usually have these as treats, if you like. Um, so you know, I, I really motivate myself during the week to get done the things that are important to me, the things that I prioritize over films. Uh, but it, it, once I finish with my priority list, I do take in films, uh, and there are certainly films out there that can certainly uh, be inspirational for this for this you know sort of uh, exploration areas uh, like the film Inception or The Matrix, you know, and some of the more recent films like uh, Jupiter Ascending. You know, yeah. there's a lot of great uh, film out there that really uh, Avatar, another, another one, which can can really lead people down the rabbit hole as well. Yeah, I mean, I. I... I brought that up just because I, I watch a, a ton of movies uh, throughout the year and these journey of truth walks that you bring up uh, with the meetup, it, it's kind of like your typical, not a typical, but it's, uh, there's some movies that this is a common plot setup where, uh, and I'm going to use uh, Jim Carrey, uh, his, his movie, Yes Man, that came out yeah. a few years ago. I don't yes. know if you've seen it. Yeah, yeah, I have seen it. Brilliant film. Yeah, and it's, you know, the typical story where this guy, he's stuck in this rut. He's saying, you know, he's got to take the safe route every time and go with what's familiar. And, you know, but he realizes, you know, halfway through or early on in the film that he's not happy with that. So he kind of, you know, changes it and just says yes to everything and just goes along that path. And I just found that, you know, very nice parallel with, you know, your stories and, you know, your real life stories and how that can pretty much change your life. I don't want to go too, too much on a tangent of, of that, but very cool thing. And I didn't think we were going to be talking about that today. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the beauty of being really open, Mike. We, we get to explore, you know, beyond our expectations <laughs> and maybe, yeah. maybe find something better than what we were going to originally talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I find too, you know, just in hearing these stories and, you know, in, in my other job that I do, I find that about 85% of the people that I'm working with are really struggling with this illusion of their own control of life and, and planning. And, you know, just hearing these stories, it's like, yeah, you know, life is supposed to be fun. Why can't it be spontaneous? Why do we have to have these agendas and planning this out? And this is what I'm going to do at this hour, this hour, and this hour. And, you know, and then people worrying about the future and future planning where, you know, I think of some of the key phrases of let go and let God and ask and you shall receive. And, you know, some of those things are kind of, you know, what you explained in those walks. It's just just letting life lead instead of us leading, I guess. That's For what sure. It makes me think and, of. Yeah. and I think you're right, April. I think, you know, uh, you know, structure and organization are necessary and important, but equally so too you know, is is this flow of life, which is always there to connect with, you know, people talk about, you know, getting in the flow, and it might bring confusion to some where they think, well, how do I get into that flow? You know, the flow is always there. It just depends on what flow channel you're in. Are you in a flow chain, you know, channel for, you know, misery? If you are, there's plenty of uh, miserable people to synchronize with, you know, you can be (laughs) miserable together. But it's a matter of just realizing that this energy is is everywhere. It permeates every part of this multidimensional reality. And if we are quite happy to sort of find ways to break our current state, then we can get into another state within seconds. And yes, you're right. I think if we if we do allow this mindset to, to nurture this mindset, there there's perhaps no end to what can be explored. I mean, even to the point 
I decided uh, because of my early years in America where I hitchhiked across America and experienced such amazing synchronicity and manifestation to the point where it was like blatantly exposing itself to me, I decided a couple years ago here in the UK that I would go on a, a, a synchronicity hitchhiking trip. And so what I did was I, I just got my passport, um, some cash, and decided, you know, when I put up a sign to hitchhike from um, location to location, I will, I will be very adaptive. I will just get into that flow and allow myself to go anywhere. I've got my passport, so I could potentially wind up in another country if I just trust that inner guidance. So, uh, for example, when I was hitchhiking in America, if I wanted to go from Tampa, Florida to California, I would hold up a sign that would say something like California or heading west because then, of course, you get a longer lift uh, instead of you know, many smaller lifts, which uh, can be more time-consuming. But over here in the UK, when I decided to go on this synchronicity hitchhiking trip, I thought, wait a second, I've got no particular destination in mind, so that kind of sign won't serve me. So what I decided to do was get cre really creative. On the very first sign that I held up, it actually, only words that were on it were astral planes. Now, <laughs> I realized that a lot of people driving by wouldn't know what that meant. And that was okay because I didn't want to just have anybody pick me up and talk about politics or football. I wanted to be able to have some deep, meaningful conversation that could really, you know, change lives. So I held up this sign. I was there on the side of the on the highway here. We call them motorways in the UK. And I and I held up this sign that said Astral Planes. And this guy pulled over within just a few minutes, rolled down his window. And the position I was in was, was uh, I was only a few miles from a, an airport, a major airport called Gatwick Airport. And the guy rolled down his window and he said, are you trying to get to Gatwick Airport? And I was like, ha, no, wrong planes, dude, wrong kind of plane. <laughs> and I, I didn't have time to explain it to him. But my gut feeling said, you know, let this guy go. This isn't my ride. This isn't my lift. So I waved him on. And within just a few minutes after, um, this, young, this young man, maybe 20, 21 years old, picked me up and we're driving along. And within a few minutes, he, he made that decision to ask that socially acceptable question, what do you do for a living? So I sat there for a few seconds pondering this because I didn't want to sort of go right for the jugular and talk about things like out-of-body exploration and astral projection. So I decided, you know, we all have that commonality. We all share dreaming in common. So I, I started off with dreaming and I let that naturally sort of go into lucid dreaming. And within about, you know, 15 minutes together, you know, I'm, I'm watching this young lad and, and watching his sort of body language and the nonverbal communication. And I can see he's really taking this on board. He's really getting it. And then I sort of let go. I stopped talking and get into a space of just sort of holding the space. And you can just feel the energy and you can see it ticking over in his head and he finally sort of uh, feeds back to me and he says, okay, so let me get this straight. He goes, I'm a mechanic and I like to tinker with cars in my spare time. I like to customize cars. Are you saying that I could get into a dream state if I became lucid to a certain level, I could then start to create you know, whatever I want? And I said, yes, it will take practice. It may not happen the first, second, third time, but with enough practice, consistency and conviction, it will happen. Okay, so he went quiet again, and and uh, we then came to the point to where it was, uh, you know, that fork in the road. I was going to go one way, he was going to go another way. So I pulled the car over, and he actually turned off the ignition of the car. And I thought to myself, "Ooh, you know, this this has gone deeper than than expected, and he probably has some more to talk about." So I just waited, 
And there was silence for a few minutes. And then he finally, you know, fed back to me again. And he said, Todd, he said, I've worked at the place I've worked at for the last two years. And that's where I've just come from now. He said, in two years, I've never, ever asked the boss if I can go home early. And today I did. And I kind of get the feeling that if I wouldn't have asked to go home early, you and I have never met. And I said to him, you know, I, I could feel it. I, I knew how powerful of a moment this was. And I, and I said to him, you know, maybe that's the case. Maybe it could also be that I would have been slightly delayed and we would have still met. But regardless, here we are. And he said, uh, he, he continued on and he said, I would normally at this, at this time, I would go home. I would put on eight Xbox. I'd play Xbox for, until it was time to bed, maybe drink a few beers. And that was my, that was my evening. He said, I don't feel like doing that tonight. He, he said, I, I feels as if something's really, you know, triggered inside of me. Um, and, you know, he was using some very creative languaging to describe what was going on. And it was a beautiful experience. And he finally said, he said, Todd, I've never had a conversation like this. I've, my friends and I wouldn't even know how to have a conversation like this. You know, it, it was deeply powerful. It was a real meaningful experience for both of us. You know, a reminder to me that, you know, this may be my everyday life, but am I taking it for granted to some level? Am I taking it for granted, you know, that there are so many people out there that, you know, I'm not saying this young lad was in pain, but, you know, for a lot of us, we are looking away from, you know, you know, that deeper side to life because maybe when it does come up, we don't understand it. And because we don't understand it, maybe it frightens us and we, or we don't want to look to be too different from everyone else. And so we, we kind of keep things to ourselves and low key about it, or we don't have these talks, but you know, when we're in a space where we can hold that space for others, it doesn't mean we have to sort of, like I said, go for the jugular, uh, and preach to people, but at least, you know, maybe start with a transparent, um, entry point where we know you know, where they're at. We know energetically, we know belief system-wise where they're at. And we come in at that level and meet their needs at that level and then just nurture the conversation in a very playful way and let it evolve based on their comfort levels. And if things have a chance to evolve through humor, through, you know, curiosity, then of course it's an opportunity for people to explore beyond their everyday self-imposed boundaries. Have you kept in contact with this uh, mechanic? He did take my card and I did say to him that uh, if he's ever in London where we run a lot of our workshops, uh, we're expanded out a lot more now, but we, we run one sort of weekend workshop on out-of-body exploration and I did give him my card and say to him, look, if you'd like to really take this deep, if you can really sort of trust yourself, then come along to this event as my non-paying guest and and get a front row seat to uh, multi-dimensional reality and and you know we briefly discussed that and i could tell that was that was a little bit more far out there for him but you know i left it in a way to where it pqued his interest and his imagination and i didn't push it any further than that if i would have pushed it deeper it would have cr sort of crossed his boundaries of of comfort and into a place of fear and it wouldn't have been productive for either one of us so i just sort of left him on the edge of his comfort zone which is a perfect place for someone to then you know, through their own uh, initiative to explore deeper.
And are you, are there certain people that you've studied along the way or have you just kind of followed this as your own path and it, it began to unfold or are there other out-of-body explorers that you've read about or tried their techniques and then adjusted it for the way in which you teach it for your workshops or are you just basing your um, trainings and how you're interacting with people off of your own life experiences? Um, I've got some really big inspirations, mentor-wise. When I was hitchhiking, uh, you know, the person that really inspired me was Richard Bach. Um, you know, Richard Bach's books such as Illusions and Jonathan Livingston Siegel. You know, I was immediately able to connect with an individual who I thought, wow, this person's on my wavelength. I'd like to meet this person. And, you know, I then, uh, you know, this was back in the early 90s when the Internet was not the Internet as we currently know it. There was no Amazons or anything of that sort. So no online bookshops where I could find more information on Bach. But it seemed at one point as I went from city to city in America on my hitchhiking journals, I found all of his books um, at the time, I think it was seven or eight books, including his very early books. Um, you know, he was all about flight and and uh, you know the imagination that comes from flight. And his early books were sort of based on his Air Force sort of uh, days as a pilot, and he mixes that in with some of his musings. And to some, maybe not as interesting as his later books, like his inspirational bestsellers such as Jonathan Livingston Seagull. But those early books, you know. Even those touched me in a way where I felt, you know, this this person is looking at life in a deep and meaningful way. He's not afraid to sort of go deep. And, and that's what I was looking for. I was looking for uh, sort of companions on this along this journey who were open-minded enough to look at stuff and not always look away. Just because, you know, we see something that we don't understand doesn't mean we always have to look away. I know we do that because... You know, it does create some fear, and we say to ourselves, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do. But always looking away is not the inspiration. And I found that Richard Bach was one of these type of people where he always looked. Even if it hurt, he looked. And he'd meditate, and he'd find guidance from other levels of his consciousness, from his, from his uh, spirit guides. And that really, I really tuned into that. Um, later in the journey, yeah, I rode classics like Robert Monroe, uh, Journeys Out of the Body. I've touched base with William Bowman, uh, learned a lot from William, you know, to the point where William Bowman and I have actually shared, you know, out-of-body journeys on other levels of reality. I remember actually teaching an astral class. I was in the astral planes and I was consciously there teaching, you know, about this level of reality uh, to people who were interested in, you know, sort of uh, taking their own journey of multidimensional reality to a yet deeper level. I felt like a Pied Piper of consciousness. And I'm there teaching this class, and suddenly William Bowman walks in the room and sits down, and I'm like, oh, my God. That, you know, in my head, I was like, that's William Bowman. That's what I, I'm teaching on the astral, and that's William Bowman. <laughs> and then you know, I, I came back to my body, and I was really excited, and I wrote William a, a, an email, and he replied pretty much the next day, and he said, yes, Todd, you, know, you and I are regularly called um, upon by the universe you know, to, to teach on these other levels because you know, we become very – you know, adept at what we do here on this level of reality because so therefore we're very useful human beings. We're very useful explorers on these other levels too. And, you know, I really connected with what he was saying because he's right. You know, and, and even if somebody is not remembering their dreams or remembering their their you know out of body experiences that will happen on a regular basis, 
you know, they are living a double life. And sometimes we wake up from a night's sleep and suddenly feel, oh, I need to go out and learn Reiki. Or they, they feel inspired or they have an epiphany. And this is because they are having experiences on, on other levels. And, and so, yes, people like Robert Monroe, William Bowman, you know, have, have deeply inspired me to take my journeys deeper. And, you know, there's many others across the path. You know, even people like Anthony Robbins, who you wouldn't associate with this sort of consciousness exploration, but, you know, his sort of um, ideas about human psychology helps me be, be a better out-of-body explorer. It helps me be have a better in-body experience. So I'll go where there's inspiration, you know, any sort of inspiration being taught where I can then, you know, take the best from those systems and apply them to to the systems that I teach. You know, human needs psychology is important because if you're not meeting your own needs, if you're not meeting the needs of the people around you, then you know it's going to be challenging. You're going to find distractions in your life, and you're not going to have, be able to have a dedicated practice. If you can understand that we all have core human needs that you know are either being met in a low quality way or a high quality way, when we understand this stuff, life again gets easier. Life becomes fun, and so I will look for inspiration everywhere. And I'll find ways to connect with it, with the things that I currently do and expand on those. So uh, it's not just out-of-body exploration sort of, uh, you know, circles that I look to. It's not just to teachers within lucid dreaming communities. I look into the wider community, you know, of consciousness exploration, you know, and, and I find what I can connect with. Now, let me ask you a question. Some people out there might be saying, what is he talking about? He's teaching on the astral plane, not in real <laughs> life. Um, and so my question is, one, do you remember teaching? And two, are you teaching human beings on the astral plane during, would it be lucid dreaming or, or your dream state? Or are you teaching other entities or both? All very good questions and hand, very happy to answer them all. Um, I would find that... Uh, on a, I've I've had to date probably a thousand or more conscious out of body journeys now, where I self induce the experience myself. So this is a conscious process from as much as possible end to end. And let me just give you a little bit more background. So from between the age six to age twelve, I had these experiences naturally. It then got to my teenage years where things started to almost, you know, just close down and they didn't spontaneously occur anymore. Uh, that's when I started discovering other aspects of multidimensional consciousness, such as synchronicity, manifestation, and more. It wasn't until I was age 35 years old, after reading a book by a remote viewer named Joseph McMoneagle, where I rediscovered uh, Robert Monroe, because I read Robert Monroe's book when I was a teenager, his first book, uh, Journeys Out of the Body. And so McMoneagle was talking about the gateway program that they run at the Institute, at the Monroe Institute in Virginia, in America. And so I inquired about the course, and at the time it was a little bit more expensive than I, than, you know, than I could afford. Uh, but I was sort of uh, directed onto their home study program, which was much more affordable. And it was an 18-CD home study course, which used their HemiSync technology. So I ordered that. I got really super excited at age 35, thinking to myself, wow, the experiences I had as a child was obviously out-of-body experiences. Now I get to verify all that stuff. I can't wait till that material arrives so I can explore. I remember the day it finally arrived in the mail and the post. And 
I quickly opened up the box and I read the materials and I got a little bit uh, sort of uh, frustrated at the very beginning reading the material because it said uh, make sure and approach this in a sequ sequential way. So go from CD1 to CD18, don't skip ahead and, and be very patient with it. Take about two or three months. And I, I'm very impetuous. So I have to learn to sort of uh, ground this impetuous uh, sort of uh, nature more. And so I thought, ah, no way. I'm going to blow through this course in like a week. I'm going to just get into there. Because I, I looked at the uh, sort of contents list, and I found that the, the last three CDs, CD 16, 17, 18, were more dedicated to the out-of-body state of consciousness, the one I wanted to explore. And I thought, ah, all these other CDs are just in the way. So... I remember the very first night I was lying on my sofa and Robert Monroe came on. You have to use headphones for their hemi-sync uh, binaural technology. And I hear Robert Monroe's very gravelly, soothing voice in my ears. And he's starting to explain what's going to happen. And this was probably about 10 o'clock at night. And then I remember waking up about 4 o'clock in the morning, freezing, very cold, lying on the sofa in the lounge uh, in my living room and thinking, what was that? I don't remember anything on the, on the tracks. I, you know, the, the, the technology just knocked me cold, knocked me out straight away. So I thought if anybody has any insomnia issues, I mean, this is the stuff, this is their fix. So it was over the next, the course of the next few evenings where I pretty much experienced the same thing where I'd go to, I'd go onto the sofa, I'd put the tracks on, I'd fall asleep very quickly, wouldn't hear much. And so I decided, you know what, I really have to adjust my attitude towards this exploration. And so I decided over the next few months, I would take my time with the materials, uh, and I equally decided that I was going to make sure that I was going to approach this as if I was a scientist. I wanted to sort of um, gather evidence. So I was going to be evidence-based. I wasn't going to be factually based. I wasn't going to be belief system-based. It was just going to be evidence-based. So I would gather evidence until I had enough proof that I was more than my physical body, as Robert Mon Monroe would say. So it went on month by month, and it came to the end of the period of about three months where I still had not triggered a conscious out-of-body experience, but I did learn how to meditate better and to hold what they call at the Institute the mind-awake-body-asleep process. And it took almost another year before I finally triggered my first experience as an adult consciously, and that was with William Bowman's help as well. Um, about a year into this, I was still very dedicated to using the hemi-sync, but I, I discovered that in that time, it wasn't like a magic bullet in itself, or better still, I was doing what's called a bottom-up sort of uh, practice, where you, you learn one set of processes, and then you don't expand on it, you just stick with that, and you kind of get to a level of coasting, and that's what I was doing. Then William Bowman came along in the form of his, uh, his, his book, Adventures Beyond the Body, and I read that book. Um, devoured that book, to be honest, and realized, wait a second, this is what I need. I need a top-down practice where I'm constantly growing. I'm constantly learning new ideas, constantly adapting, constantly tweaking my system. You know, having a feedback loop system like a dancer who stands in front of a mirror and sees every micro move and then adjusts accordingly to, to you know, sort of get to the next level. So, at this time, it coincided. I remember reading Bowman's book and going off for a walk one day in my local wooded area. So I went into the woods, and I must have come in contact with the wrong sort of plant or the right sort of plant, as it turned out, like poison ivy, poison oak, whatever it was. Within a few days, I started having this rash occur all over my body. And one night, about 4 o'clock in the morning, I just couldn't sleep from the itching. So I woke up, put some lotion on my body, laid down on the sofa in my, in my living room, and I put on the hemi-sync, and I, and I started going through the techniques that I was learning in William's book. 
And within about an hour of staying very conscious, I might have, must have briefly fell unconscious and then suddenly had these very powerful full body vibrations. And it was what I now understand to be this sort of in-between state. The vibrations don't necessarily mean I'm going to have an out-of-body experience, but it's certainly the potential is there. I'm in that zone where, you know, sort of transition between physical waking consciousness and this other levels of our, of our consciousness too. So I'm lying there on my sofa, all these vibrations. I had an eye mask on, but I noticed very quickly um, that I could see through the eye mask. Where I was like, wow, something's cool, cool is happening. I'll try one of William's other techniques, which was like what he calls, you know, sort of you choose a target location and you make a command. And so I commanded myself to sit out of my body. And suddenly there was a, uh, an energy sensation and I was sitting halfway out of my body. Now, like I said, it took me a year to get to this state. This was a dedicated practice, uh, and you know it was very consistent. So I was now sitting halfway out of my body. I looked around. I could see my physical body lying underneath me on the sofa, and it was just absolute euphoria, a sense of freedom. And I stood up away from my body, and the moment I stood up, this white light sort of flooded into the room, and there was this hand, this sort of disembodied hand that sort of reached through the light, and I was like, Holy crap, what's that? Nobody in William Bowman, Robert Monroe, nobody's told me about disembodied hands reaching through light on my first OBE. And I, <laughs> it really sort of frightened me. And I, I suddenly wound up back in my body and I was in full paralysis. I could no longer see. So it was pitch black behind the eye mask again. I knew I was back in my body. And I was just lying there thinking, oh, I don't believe this. For a whole year, I've been practicing this. And somebody sticks out their hand and says hello. And, and I freak out and I'm back in my body. But I, I just calmed myself down and I laid there and I thought to myself, okay, I now have the blueprint. It's kind of like being on a plane or being in an elevator and you suddenly feel, you know, after like uh, the turbulence or the drop um, in the elevator and you get that quick sensation in your stomach, you know, like that butterfly sensation. I now knew what it felt. I now knew what the vibrations felt like. So I felt I have the blueprint. I can recreate that. So I laid there. And within minutes, I recreated that sensation, and they actually felt more powerful than the first time. So again, I centered myself. I used some of William Bowman's ideas, and I was sitting halfway out of my body again. But this time, I was a little bit more trepidation. I was looking around for hands, nothing, no light. So I walked away from my body once again, and almost moments after doing that, the light came back, the hand came back. And I remember there, and I remember telling Tom Campbell about this experience and Tom you know in one of his talks said you know like Todd's experience this is like a test this isn't this isn't a test of failure this is reality saying you know are you ready are you sure you're ready in this moment are you ready to go deeper in this moment because we're ready you know the universe is always ready you know it's it's capable of working to any speed so i said yes i am ready and so i put out my hand and this other hand took mine gently very gently and pulled me further away from the energy field of my physical body and it then sort of let go. It withdrew into the light. The light withdrew into the ethers, I suppose. And I remember standing there and just being in this profound state. You know, it, even to this day, after ten years on of this, that first consciously induced experience as a as an adult, it's still one of my favorite experiences. It's because it was that moment where I knew, you know, it was up to me now. I didn't have to put my belief in, in science or religion or society at large, I had a tool to direct my sort of experience into the bigger conscious field and gain direct experience. So, you know, it's from this basis I then started building experience levels. I started to understand multidimensional reality, understand myself more. I kept pushing myself more and more and more to 
never stop growing, to never stop learning. And this has served me well. So yes, now fast forwarding back to your question, there are going to be people out there who are going to have doubt. They're going to think, who, who is this guy? And does he need, you know, me to call, you know, uh, an, uh, you know, the men in the white ambulance for him, you know, with the, and the answer is what is necessary right now from everybody listening to this is a new level of thought because like Einstein would suggest with any problems that we create in our lives in order to to you know to create a solution we have to come at this with a new level of thinking a new level of feeling which leads to a new way of behaving so if there's anybody out there who suddenly is in that that state of doubt or that and, or any fearful state that says, no, this, this can't be, this isn't reality, you can't go and teach on other levels of reality, that just doesn't happen. What I would say is, take a moment, ask yourself, when did I pick up this belief system? Who taught me this belief? How did I get this programmed into me? Because that, ultimately that's what it is. It is a programmed belief system which probably isn't even yours. It might have been your mother's, your father's, a teacher, a friend, it could be anybody, but it most likely is not yours. If you can get to a point of just having your mind open enough once again, which I think is our true nature, I'm not asking people to believe me. I'm asking people to be open-minded enough to where they can approach these ideas with the level of thought and feeling that's necessary to have the direct experience themselves. You can intellectualize this stuff all you want, but until you get to the point of you know flexing those emotional muscles, those you know those those sort of uh, that will lead to the behavioral modification, people won't take the journey. They'll, they'll think they've taken the journey just by allowing their belief systems to come out and judge a process or judge an idea. That's not direct experience. That's not experimentation. And this is what myself and teachers like William Bowman, Tom Campbell are asking of people. We're asking people not to suspend their beliefs, but to come at this with a level of openness that's necessary to be able to experience what's already there, realities within realities. And that was part one with our interview with Todd Akamesis. Be sure to tune in next week when we continue our conversation where we left off with Todd about out-of-body experiences. If you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our DVDs, you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com. They're also available to purchase on amazon.com. Our films are also streaming online at Vimeo.com, GuyMTV.com, and iTunes. If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at thepastseries. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show. Mm-hmm.